Welcome to Movie Left, a movie review podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, uh, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? Uh, I've been fighting Poison Ivy on my leg for almost two weeks now. Um, I haven't had it since I was a kid, so I forgot how to fight off Poison Ivy. And I thought, you know, it goes way on its own in a couple of days, and turns out that's not true. I was lied to by my memory, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it started on both sides of my knee, I don't know how I got it. I mean, I, I ride a bike everywhere, but I certainly didn't go wading into the bushes, you know, especially I, like I know when you when you get poison ivy a lot growing up in the Midwest, you know what it looks like. And you, if you, as soon as you see that leaf somewhere, you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I don't know how I got it, but it started on both sides of my knee. And then on one side, it really like boiled up really bad. And on the other, it was kind of like an archipelago that started sprouting new islands moving slowly up the up my thigh, right? And if you have any kind of like, you know, uh, infection or blister and it's spreading towards your crotch, you usually get worried when it, <laughs> when it gets within about six inches. You're like, all right, I got to fucking do something here. So, uh, all right, so you, for, you, you, <laughs> stopping this from cutting the leg off, like some, one of the two things. Right, right, right. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I foolishly thought the calamine lotion only works when you first get poison ivy, but mm-hmm. um, it, it works at any time, right? So I went out and got that. And for the last week, uh, like the middle half of my leg has been just like swathed in fucking like dried pink goo all over my, mm-hmm. my legs so uh it is working though that the- honestly xanfel works really well it's just really fucking expensive it's yeah like that cream and but- calamine lotion was like three three dollars so yeah it, yeah. Was, I mean, it was in my budget that right? really just to soothe the, the the thing though the xanfel actually scrubs the oil off theoretically well the, the other thing calamine like lotion does is the, it it dries the skin out because when your skin's mm-hmm. really moist is when it spreads right so summertime when you're hot and sweaty riding a bike all over that's what causes it to spread more or, or mm-hmm. one of the things that can uh, scratching it obviously also does that. But the calamine lotion helps dry the skin out to prevent it from sweating. It helps heal faster, turns out. So yeah. uh, that is uh, I, I, my my personal story for the week. Uh, I usually save that for our political cast, but I thought I'd hold it over for our movie cast that we're recording tonight also. Um, so, yeah, I'm on the road to recovery. <laughs> well, uh yeah, well, <laughs> I have no transition that I could do from that and to sorry to bother you. So let's just talk about the movie we're reviewing uh, today, which is uh, Boots Riley's uh, 2018 directorial debut, uh, Sorry to Bother You. Um, yeah, this movie kind of came out of nowhere. Boots Riley, of course, is the uh, lead, uh, lead front rapper, frontman front of, of The Coup, uh, which is this great kind of like, I I, I, I I i'm reluctant to say they're a hip-hop group because they're very electric like they're very much a band like they, the music they make is very like it, it fuses elements of rock and hip-hop and you know alternative like without sounding like like limp biscuit when you hear like rock and hip they're no, they're like it's, really it's more like funk and punk more like mixed together with like some yeah. rap and stuff but they're know, like they a had funk a, rage against yeah, the machine kind they of. had a, they got a top they got like a top 40 song the the guillotine or we got the guillotine wherever, wherever it's called and it gets played yeah, all yeah. the time on mainstream radio stations it gets played in in like uh coffee chains on like a regular corporate approved playlist but the lyrics are literally <laughs> about chopping off the heads of the rich with guillotine we got the guillotine you better and, run and like, like yeah, bad, sometimes yeah. The, like the censors didn't notice that somehow so uh and if you want to kind of know like boots riley's politics like he's very much a socialist very much you know in line with the idea of guillotining uh, heads of rich people um although i was only vaguely familiar with who he was for a long time because uh, i would always like i'd hear his name and i would think of uh bootsy collins Right. Yeah. Same. <laughs> I would like in my brain, I would mix it up for you know, just because I didn't know who he was that well. And, you know, this this was his first film. Um, we all know him as a filmmaker now because it was I mean, you know, you 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 really um, when you yeah, don't it's make incredible. This film, guy's never made a fucking movie before. And, and I don't think went to film yeah. school. No, but it's it's like when you have to, you know, shoestring budget a film and your background isn't from a bunch of money. Uh, you might not make your first film till you're well into your late 40s, early 50s, possibly. Yeah. Or you'll make it and it'll suck because you can't include all the things that you want to include or it can't be. Right. You know, or or, or you just don't have a clear vision about the story you want to tell. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the themes of this film are right on the surface. But 
it's I've never seen a film about so many things that other films have only kind of like skirted around the issue a little bit. And this film kind of takes it on full force. Yeah. So and we're going to get into all of that. Um, I, I, I think, you know, this is uh, and we said this kind of on our main cast this week when we were previewing this. This is the most unapologetically leftist movie I think I've seen. It's, it's certainly in terms of mainstream movies that I've seen uh, out of Hollywood in a long fucking time. And, you know, uh, like we said, Boots Riley was primarily a musician. Like, I'm sure he had aspirations to make a movie, but, uh, you know, it's never something he's done before. And for him to turn his first, you know, writing and directorial effort into this really fucking well-made, like interesting, surrealist, daring movie is kind of incredible and inspiring. And it really makes me want to make movies again. Like, you know, we, we talked a lot on this cast on different episodes about our kind of background in film and how we wanted to pursue that, you know, coming out of college. And, uh, you know, it was always like, well, you know, like I can never fucking come up with something nearly as good as like all the, these movies that I, that I love and I, I try to emulate, but uh, to see that he could do this at like right out the, you know, out the gate is, is really inspiring. It makes me want to keep writing shit because it's like, you know, it, all you need is the right confluence of circumstances. And I'm sure it didn't hurt the fact that he was a, a public figure to some degree, although not like insanely, you know, well-known he it's, I'm sure that opened doors for him, but like, dude still never made a fucking movie before. He made this really fucking awesome movie about working class politics and you know the 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 evils of capitalism and the 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 structures that are put in place to crush workers rights and workers uprisings and any kind of attempt at workplace democratization so it's really well and he, he made it, he, he made it very subversive but he also made it really funny too because yeah, this, well, this, this, this is this is a humorous hilarious. satirical film uh, and then it goes from just sort of being like a comedy about, you know, the, the horrors of capitalism. Then it, it begins to, to shift into this just really, really fucking dark, you know, not not paranormal, but surrealist world where you're not even really sure if what's happening is real or not. Uh, because with any good satire, like you have to kind of establish that it's this is this is the world in which we live and then gradually move the boundary of what's possible until you start thinking, oh, my God, what what's to really stop this from actually happening? Right. Yep. And I, I think shows like Black Mirror really kind of opened the door for a movie like this to, to get made where you're right. Like this is not a mo- kind of a movie that Hollywood makes, not even just because of the tone of it, but just the the sheer like how do you sell this movie to people in a way where they go, Oh yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing we want to invest millions of dollars in the <laughs> elevator know. pitch for this movie is non-existent. Like that's, you know, Hollywood works on elevator pitches. Like you need to walk into a room and be like, you know, uh, it's jaws, but in space it's die hard, but uh, you know, in right. a, in a fucking submarine, like you need to be able to walk into a room and explain to well, people in a sentence or two. And what do you fucking say for this movie? When you, when you look at the people involved in this project, you know, that this movie came out of years long conversations, right? Sure. You know, this was not a thing where you jumped on an elevator and pitched it to somebody. This was like, Hey, I've got uh data cross and Pat Oswalt lined up. I've got the fucking, you know, one of the top, you know, the top guys from Get Out. Um, you know, I've got one of the fucking Avengers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I've got fucking uh, I've got Glenn from Walking Dead, you know, I, and here's who I have attached to this thing. And they've all read the script and so executives going to go, holy shit, what, what, where, where? <laughs> shut up and take my money. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So you, you get a lineup like that. Mention people, Danny Glover, which was fucking Oh, yeah, great. of course. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I wasn't looking at the IMDb page at the moment. I was just trying to go kind of go off the top of my head, like, who's yeah, the, yeah. Who, who, who are hot names in Hollywood that have worked on really big projects who now want to help make this, you know, much more independent film. I don't even know if it was shot independently and then sold or or how that, that all went off. But, yeah, uh, you know, it, it only grew not a big production. No, yeah. it only grossed $18 million. And I'm guessing it was made for probably half that much money. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing the people involved in that, like forego their normal salary to work on this project, obviously. <laughs> then yeah. a lot of these people, you know, Pat Oswalt, David Cross can get paid a lot of money. 
uh, Danny Glover and get paid a lot of money. Um, they basically had the the equivalent of like an animation job with this one, David Cross and Patton Oswalt. Oh were yeah, the, but, the but white still, voices of uh, <laughs> you know Pat, Patton Oswalt wrote and voiced Ratatouille. You know, so he's not a, yeah, he's yeah, not, yeah. A, not a cheap actor to get. <laughs> sure. So. Well, and but you know, all of those people are are ranging from progressives to leftists uh outspokenly you know Patton Oswald is a is a pretty good voice on on you know on uh political issues uh Stephen Yun has been pretty outspoken uh Danny Glover is obviously a really a longtime activist uh and, Clearly. and you know leftist so it's it's a really interesting group that they managed to pull together uh Tessa Thompson also fucking amazing one of my favorite uh working actors right now uh, I'll watch anything she's in. She's great. And yeah, no, she, she's captivating. I mean, she kind of, she almost stole every scene she was in, in uh-huh. Thor Ragnarok. Right. Which is hard to do when you've already got so many talented people in that film, but you know, still she, she did it. And yeah, I, it's, she, she's in everything. She's in every, I mean, the Westworld, she steals the fucking scenes in Westworld too, <laughs> with, without, they, without very much to do with that dialogue either. She was in season one and she was almost a nothing character and she became such a massive star in between seasons one and two that they like created this like way bigger role for her character yeah. in season two yeah. uh, in that incomprehensible plot that season two was. But she, she also yeah, looks great in anything she wears too. Like you can, yeah. she's wearing like, she, you know, half of, I think most of season two, she's even though they're indoors and in like the sciency lab, she's still wearing like the wool slacks and like the button up white shirt. And it just fucking, <laughs> you know, it was like just whatever, she rocks whatever it. No, she rocks it. She's Gosh, easily one of my top 10, like, like Hollywood crushes too, right now. <laughs> like, I know that's not like whatever, but no, <laughs> yeah, she's, it's, 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 it's fantasy. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But uh, by the way, I just looked it up. 3.2 million was the budget for this movie. So oh, it was wow. really a fucking cheap movie, like in terms of, of, of what it had in it. That's and the what's kind the, of that's what Avengers probably spent on catering. <laughs> yeah for like the extras for like the for like the beat like the b unit is like 3.2 million on yeah. catering. i don't even know um, if you could if you could actually get the film and have it you know processed and telecined for three million dollars on, yeah, no, on a major sure. motion picture that's that's like nobody actually got paid because they wanted to really make this movie yeah so you know lakeith stanfield who plays cassius green the main character um is is another really uh great up-and-coming actor right now he's uh super fucking funny as darius in atlanta for anyone that's watched that show you know what i'm talking about he's just really that's another show that i think if you haven't watched it it's very it's got a really similar vibe to to this movie like it's a really like funny but like real like like show like it, it it's it's a comedy but it's played like deadly serious and like there's a lot of surrealist elements that are totally not uh like commented upon or not sold like it's it's a very similar style which kind of makes sense because you were telling me before we went on air that initially donald glover was up for this role and attached to this role but he got uh pulled away because of solo yeah he got the star wars phone call and you know if if George Lucas calls you, then you, you fucking, you know, or, yeah, or, or Catherine Kennedy or whoever. Yeah, probably does that nowadays, but they, they probably call together a conference call. Um, cause, cause what else does George Lucas have to do? Uh, George it, Lucas but, has a super funny voice too. He's, you know, he actually talks like Yoda. Like that's where I think we're part oh, of the Yoda. Yeah. Uh, but, and he's um, got a, a bloated throat, like job of the hut too. Um, <laughs> but no, so, uh, when, when, uh, Glover had to drop out the other Glover, not Danny Donald Glover. Glover. Donald no Glover. Um, they uh, he actually recommended uh, Lakeith Stansfield for this role, and I think that was a great uh, recommendation. Because, and I think the reason Boots wanted, and it, and it's clear to me that Boots had a vision for what he wanted to do with this movie, because the tone of this movie is actually very similar to the tone of Atlanta, which is a show that Donald Glover not only stars in but writes and produces and directs some episodes of. It's his, yeah, it's his creative force. So I think he understood. Like, they were on a very similar vibe uh so i and actually i would have loved to have seen him in this role but i think uh lakeith ended up killing it in this role like he really in a lot of ways actually maybe is even better suited for it because donald glover is such a like recognizable face now that you could not help but think like donald glover and 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 donald glover is such a the characters he's played or the you know the his persona is a 
a little too strong almost where this role you need somebody who kind of wears yeah. their their vulnerabilities in a more visible way but again oh, you know it's say, acting yeah. it's acting so you 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 put yourself in that role you can project whatever you want but i think you know it one of the one of the faults i think that we have as as white people is that we we look at other white actors and it's very easy for us to see the the mechanisms inside the actor making the choices they make to act a character a certain way or not. Whereas we don't see those things as easily with, with somebody who's, you know, a person of color. And we just think, Oh, that's just, that's just, uh, you know, that's just, um, Samuel Jackson being Samuel Jackson. Like we don't, we don't see those. <laughs> to be internal... fair with him of all people. Like, <laughs> Well, right. But like we, we don't see those internal decisions as easily. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, to, to criticize and say, Oh, well Donald, Glo- or, you know, he couldn't have played it as well. But that's, you know, almost a little kind of like, well, why not? Why couldn't he? Well, we don't really know. Well, no, and I and I totally think he could because his character on Atlanta is very similar to Cassius. Like, I, I think it was very much modeled on that that mm. type of performance, which is why I think it was you know so easy for him to kind of slide his Atlanta co-star into that role. It's sure. a very similar vibe. But um, and actually, now that I say that about Samuel L. Jackson, I think about how fucking amazing he was in Django Unchained and how different of a role that was for him than like anything he's ever played before. So. I even take that back well, about him. Like he's fucking you, great you haven't seen even in that movie. You haven't seen Glass yet, have you? No, no. Well, and you haven't seen um, Unbreakable. Unbreakable. No, so I, I want to watch no. that before I watch Glass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you definitely need to watch them in order, right? Mm-hmm. Because you realize yeah. what, a, what a trilogy it is. But man, I mean, because he does so many things, you start to take him for granted. Right. And you, you forget, you know, you feel like you're always watching Samuel Jackson because he plays uh, himself a lot in movies. He, well, he plays himself a lot, but the thing he does, it's so amazing. And a lot of actors don't realize this is, you know, some actors will read a script and go, that's not plausible. My character wouldn't do that. No, your job mm-hmm. as an actor is to internally make it plausible and decide why it is your, your character would do those things. And you perform it in a way that is believable to the audience. And that's something that Samuel Jackson he always fucking does. Well, you never think, oh, this scene's written badly or this scene doesn't like he makes it work in whatever it is happening. You know, even if the movie doesn't work overall, he makes the character fucking work. Right. Mm-hmm. So so I think that's, you know, because he's in so many films, people just take him for granted a lot. But it's it's because he can do that so well that he gets all those roles. For, and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously he's marketable and everything, too. So, um, you know, it, it, again, it's just even for 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 any actor who's young and not as well known it's hard to get really fucking good roles like this. Like, you know, the role of cash is uh, green in this movie and his, and you know, it was a really, uh, a smart thing of boots to write this character this way because he like, it would be really easy for him to just make a working class versus the man kind of movie where it was like, well, we're all going to organize and shit, but he chose to focus the, the, the story on this protagonist who's not particularly, active in 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 like fighting for workers rights and in understanding the 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 needs of like he Cassius is kind of a character who doesn't really know what he's talking about when it comes to like labor movements and or anything like that and I think he does a kind of deaf job mm-hmm. of like showing you that in the beginning when like his it's a really fucking funny scene when he like opens up his garage front door thing and his his uncle upstairs is like, yo, my fucking rent's four months overdue. And and he tries to like give him this like socialist diatribe where he's like, you know, you you're just uh, a, a greedy landlord and it's greedy people like you. And like he does he is just like is clearly he's never said anything remotely like this before. He doesn't have any uh, idea he of like says you wouldn't do this of, to your own family, and he's like, What are you talking about? You're my fucking nephew. <laughs> you know? But it's just funny because like it's he, he clearly doesn't like he's not like a revolutionary at the beginning of this movie. No. And they I think that was the point of that scene all. is to show right. that he like is just like, man, fucking give me a break. Like, but he but so he tries to co-opt that kind of in the beginning. And he gets this job at this call center and, you know, it, it, it it's great because you introduce a character like Steven Yeun, who, uh, is, is, you know, this guy who's tr- Glenn from the walking dead trying to organize, uh, a union. Uh, and you know, look, he Sam, the Cassius is like not fully on board. And he, once he realizes that he's really fucking good at this job and he, he moves up, it's, it's a great, uh, illustration of how capitalism pits the working class against each other. Like it, it's a really great way to say like, this is what 
happens is like capitalism rewards a very select sliver of the population so that the incentive is always there for the rest of the people to to you know break their fucking sure. bones to try to deliver well, and it also presents a bigger internal conflict because the strike or the walkout basically starts the same day that he gets promoted right mm-hmm. and and we don't know if it's you know his promotion is to help break that strike or to just kind of put them at odds with each other or if that was going to happen anyway but it's still the timing you know, immediately when he wants to be on their side, suddenly he's like, uh, sorry, guys, I'm getting moved up to the top, um, you know, to the, you know, the extra special area. And that that, of course, is is it's it's it makes it harder for him, but it makes it more compelling of a story for us as the audience. Yeah. And that and then he even says in that scene where he comes like and he's like, you know, he's he's he's, be, he's being a scab. He's walking through. He's crossing the picket line. They say to him, and he's like saying to them, like, look, like what I'm doing has nothing to do with what you guys are doing. I support you from the sidelines, but like I'm working in a different department. So don't expect me yeah. to not, you know, get my get mine, basically. Right. And it's a great what the great thing about it is like he's you know, the, the protagonist is supposed to be the character that you root for. But in a lot of ways, he's kind of like the, the whole journey of this movie is Cassius realizing that it doesn't matter what the fuck you do. You're never going to be one of them in the eyes of the people that run shit like they, it, in the eyes of the fucking army hammers of the world, the, the CEO of the of workforce. He's yeah. still like, you know, he's you know, Cassius is this amazing salesman. And he fucking sells like he's the quickest rising salesman that they've ever had. And they bring him to Army Hammer's fucking house party, and they're still basically, you know, Army Hammer does the equivalent of like "Dance for Me, Boy." Like he, you know, he brings him out. Right. He's like, "You rap for us, rap for us." Of course, you could rap. What do you mean you can't rap? He, yeah. <laughs> I won't say his well, rap, he, but it's the can, funniest. He can fucking... rap one word really well. And the white people love to to do a little call and response with him. No, that that scene was I'm, fucking hilarious because it's so like, fucking funny. It's about so many fucking things at once. Uh, you know, just this, this myth that every rap, every black person can rap, uh, you know, or or that you know, if you if you think the the black rapper is your friend, you get to say the n word along with them, you know, just mm-hmm. all of that wrapped up in that one scene. It's so uncomfortable and cringeworthy, but you're like, oh my god, it's like, it is, you know, it, it's it, it's barely satire at that point. Yeah. But but and I love that scene too because it's it's really boots, you know. Uh, making the case for intersectionality because it's like look there's clearly no matter how fucking far you rise you're never going to be treated equally in the eyes of uh the billionaire class because it's not only that you're black which and it is obviously that's the crux of that scene but it's also like well you're a fucking you know you're you're a fucking pauper like we just happen to let you come and you know stay at this party so you can you know entertain us and and rap for us but we're you're not one of us like we're not i'm not going to accept you as one of us like no that's no and and it gets to the point where you know all all he is is a way to make them more money so they value him slightly more than the you know the people around the lower floor that are trying to go on strike but you know ultimately you see that those people have more power than he does because he lets himself get isolated up there on the upper floor those people down there who all walk out together they're the ones that really do have that have, you know, make the the people upstairs pissed because they can't do anything about it if they all work together. Right. The yeah. movie makes a good point of that. The labor solidarity is the only way that you can resist that bullshit. Right. But, you know, and, and then we see he gets even so far into it that, you know, now they want to, you know, do med- essentially medical experiments on him. And oh, turn him God. into a fucking turn him this, into this a fucking a fucking horror movie in the second half of this. But like, I this was like a genuinely horrifying fucking movie. Yeah, well, I, just just the the idea that they you know you, you can have work and housing security if so, you move into the factory, you know, and live there for the rest of your life, and you're never allowed to leave. And there's six people to a room. They already do that in we, China. Yeah, <laughs> like, we did this here in the 1800s. We made this illegal. It was like company towns. Like they would have the company yeah. currency. Like we made this fucking illegal. Although Disney is kind of doing this now, and I'm sure Amazon's going to fucking start doing that. You know, as, yeah, as no, much as they, they want to. They want to own the housing. They'll put cameras in there so they can monitor their employees in private. Uh, but you know, they they literally there's a documentary about um, where all the Mardi Gras beads come from in in China. Oh, it's it's like one factory. Right. And they they have like eight people to a room with no windows. That's where they sleep at night. They work 14 hour days and they're only allowed to leave the factory one day a week. 
that's yeah i mean that's slavery it's it's wage slavery essentially i mean it's, it's that's know, i mean the, that's horrific. prison slavery you're not allowed yeah, to leave the I building mean, at the yeah, end of the day. that's mean, fucking that's, that's a fucking prison but and that's and and obviously i mean it's it's no secret it, workforce is obviously supposed to be amazon although i guess it could represent any major company but it, but the closest approximation that i would i would you know tie in with them is is got to be amazon because the you know when you look at this one company essentially trying to corner the first of all you know having an atrocious history of uh workers rights and just you know factory conditions and then trying to incorporate themselves into all these other avenues of uh, uh of of production to maximize their profits and it's not crazy to think that jeff bezos in 20 years would be trying to create a race of horse fucking people like human horse hybrids to maximize productivity and you know minimize uh complaints essentially which is you know what the big kind of reveal of the third act of this movie and it's fucking horrifying but and it's satirical but it's really not that fucking far off like i'm sure if this technology existed they would be fucking doing this shit to to you know like you well, and that's like it, and that's reflected in the fact that he thinks if he goes on this show where you have to humiliate yourself and then you get to you know basically say whatever you want uh, that if he exposes this fact, it'll it'll shout it down, and instead everyone goes, "Oh my God, that's such a great idea! Let's do that." That's the really dark thing is you think that you know the the Amazons and you know the Teslas and the WalMarts of the world that they could just figure out a way to PR it right, that we would figure out a way to to you know rationalize why being oppressed by our bosses even more is actually a good thing for us. You already see this with, you know, like uh, tech companies on the West Coast that have no labor salary or whatsoever because they'll pay everyone just a little bit more than, you know, they, they used to get paid. And they go, oh, I don't, I don't need a union. I don't need a union. I'm, I can afford the, the, you know, the condo in the most expensive part of San Francisco now. Why do I care about the person who was getting evicted out of the, the, the building because they no longer can afford to live here? They don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, the kind of the and that's actually a funny little thing in that last scene is that like he, he literally exposes this this this, you know, psychotic fucking mad scientist uh, idea that they had to turn these people into horse people. Um, and he goes on TV and he goes on like talk shows and late night shows and like exposes it. And like the next scene is literally like cutting cute. It cuts to army hammer at the stock market. And it's like, you know, workforce stocks rise by 400% and they have democratic and Republican Congress people shaking each other's hands next to army hammer. in that scene, it was just a very subtle little, like, yeah, like it, it was the, the whole ending of this movie was boots Riley's way of saying like, look, I'm not going to make a fantasy movie, despite the fact that there are horse people fighting cops in this movie. Um, this is the, the reality of the situation is that you're never going to defeat capitalism the way that, you know, it, w- it in its current form, like it's going to, the only way it's going to defeat be defeated is if it fucking kills itself. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't fight all of these little battles because you can occasionally win. And even if you win, they're still going to bring in the SWAT team and fucking, you know, crack your skulls like they do yeah. at the end of the movie. But it doesn't mean you, that's not a fight you should have, because if you submit, then they're never going to, they're never going to feel that they need to give you anything. Like you need to fight for every little fucking like yeah. scent that you can, get, you know, extract out of that. Well, j- just we to feed it for the record, the, the name of the evil corporation is called work free. Uh, is it just, work or we're not work. Isn't it worry free? Worry free at the work free party. That's what I'm reading here. Worry free work free. What did I say? Yeah. Workforce initially. Yeah. Well, w- that's a, we're in agreement that it's WF. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, they, they include so many things that it's worry that, free. I, I just Google it. It's worry free. Worry free. Oh, well, yeah. I must be reading an article that has it wrong also. Cause it says work free as a single word, uh, yeah. uppercase W uppercase F, whatever we, you know, you can call it globo chem, who cares? <laughs> but we all know who we're talking By about. And here. Large. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I love the, the, the police riot scene cause it, you know, it's, it's like, if you've ever been to unpermitted March and you've seen people get, you know, your friends getting the shit beat out of with batons by police, 
you know why we say fuck the police um, instead of this liberal bullshit like, oh, I respect the police. And that's why they should respect us. Is, you know, fuck you. No, they don't. They're never going to. Don't throw water on the police. It's disrespectful. <laughs> oh, my God. All out terrorism if you dunk a fucking bottle First of water. First of all, it's side. fucking 100 degrees outside. They should thank us for throwing water. Yeah. They <laughs> should fucking kiss my fucking ass. I dumped a bucket of water on your fucking head. <laughs> fucking cop but yeah like they don't they don't spend a ton of time on it but they show that like this riot has been going on for a while because it starts when it's daylight and then it ends later on or they they pick up on it when it's dark out and you realize the uh equestra what are they called again i think they're equisapiens if i remember correctly yeah that they they're the ones that are like now using their fucking horse strength (laughs) to beat the shit out of the cops like everybody who's seen their friends beat by a cop uh loved that moment Love oh, to yeah. see these fucking Pizza. cops that was the best moment in the movie. beaten to death by these giant horse people <laughs> and their giant horse cocks. <laughs> their flopping horse cocks. <laughs> but no, but it's great because that, in that moment too, and it's like so preposterous because it's fucking human horse hybrids. But it, Lakeith Stanfield, who finds these people like chained up in, in this fake Jeff Bezos's basement, uh, goes and frees them. And, he re- and he's not like repulsed, but I mean, he's you know, scared of them initially, but it, it's like he realizes that it, it was just it was a great way to make a point about solidarity and how we need to have solidarity across races and classes and species in this case. Yeah, That's the only way you win too. is to yeah. have solidarity with each other. And well, then you, you and know, then the them. weird twist is, you know, the, the horse people are, are sort of proud of who they are now. They're not like, I'm a freak. They're like, yeah, I'm a fucking horse person. Look at my fucking dick. Like they're, they have this weird, <laughs> like sort of played against the expectation and like, like now they're like their own race of you know, people that are, they think are superior to people now, mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, it, it really, uh, it, it definitely not where anyone expected this movie to go, uh, <laughs> by any means. Um, one of the other things yeah. I really love is, is how much this feels like an Oakland movie. Uh, it's very easy to shoot a movie and make it look like nowhere or anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but of course, Boots wanted this to look like Oakland, be very much about Oakland and, and did some great, uh, sort of B unit photography of the city, you know, as he's driving around in this beat up car, as you really get the sort of the just like the rough edges of the city. And of course, you know, San Francisco is completely gentrified. Oakland now is very, very rapidly gentrifying. But also, just you know, how much uh, public graffiti is a part of this movie? How this this resistance to uh, workforce worry free, whatever the fuck it's called, uh, is happening in the streets, largely by artists who are you know, putting stencils up and everything. And, and I don't know if you remember um, when the police decided to break up Occupy o- Oakland, that was one of the bloodiest, most violent uh, riots started by the police where they were, you know, firing so many tear gas. They were firing tear gas canisters at head level straight into the crowd. Uh, there was a veteran who was hit in the head with a tear gas canister, caused him permanent brain damage. When they ran in to try to grab his body off the ground, they threw flashbang uh, grenades directly at the medics that were trying to save this guy who was a fucking veteran. Right. And, and just, I mean, the, this was, this was downtown Oakland too. So when those flashbang grenades go off or the, you know, the tear gas grenades go off, they fire from those rocket launcher things. When those explode, you can fucking kill somebody if you you kill somebody, but but just the sound of those things exploding amongst the, 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 the high rise offices of downtown Oakland sounds like a real fucking war going on. Right. Yeah. So this film, I think, really kind of showed the um, the kind of people that uh, make up sort of the radical elements of, of Oakland uh, and make that very much like this is they're just there. They don't explain like why they're there. It's just these are the these are the more radical elements of the people and artist community that, that make up Oakland. That, and, you know, that's another great thing about this movie. And again, I just I, I, I am amazed that this that Boots has never made a fucking movie before because he just gets the subtleties of, of building character and building like building out a world without doing a ton of like hokey exposition. And that's, Show, that's showing that's the real great. buildings of the city to build a character out of the buildings. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No, for sure. And and you know, the other thing I mean, you kind of mentioned it, it's like. This this is like a beautiful looking film too for somebody who's never directed something before. He just use he really has just like this great use of primary colors and like the the cinematography and just the looks of all of these you know shots like these shots that he you know sets up are, are pretty incredible for somebody who's not primarily a like a a, a you know a film person. Like I, I'm I'm kind of a mate like it's kind of I, I really hope he does more movies because like I you know it oh, seems yeah, like that- he almost. 
the colors, I mean, every, every shot of this movie was so rich with different colors. Um, it, just the fact that, you know, one of the main characters is an artist. Like he's also like, there, mm-hmm. there's also parts of this film that, uh, you know, embrace the arts, but also some that like kind of poke fun at more of the, the, the bourgeois <laughs> the, uh, elements really out of there, the art fucking world. Art installments. Yeah. Yeah. And you even see when, um, you know, when, uh, uh, when, oh God, what's her, what's her name now? Uh, Detroit. Tess, Detroit, yeah, that's her name. Yeah. When she decides to go like fully embrace the bougie elements of the art world, you notice that she she suddenly has a British accent. You know, yeah, that was and, really and her, funny. And her skin is much much lighter, right? Yeah. And and that's of course in contrast to uh, you know our our main black characters who have to adopt a white voice in order to do well at their job. Which you know I'm sure everyone who listens to this show knows what code switching is, but in this movie their their uh, at work call center white voices are actually voiced by two different people entirely Patton Oswalt uh, and uh, David Cross who does uh, the main character's white voice and then you know the higher up they go the more they have to use it all the time like in social yeah. functions and not just while they're on calls which is like even even more just twisted psychological you know part of it which you know is very true like if your job is you know if, as a black person is to talk to white people on the phone you have to talk to them in a way that makes them feel comfortable because it's like there's so much fucking racism inherent in in the way we talk to each other that it you know like code switching is like a terrible thing that people have to do as you know to to keep their job or as a, a, a you know a way not to be attacked and beaten up to is to talk to people in a way that's acceptable to by and large white supremacists yeah no for sure um yeah so you know and i just i I really love the surreal there's a lot of really subtle surrealist uh elements of this movie too like in the in the first scene where he's on the phone uh with his first couple clients obviously the main you know kind of bit of surrealism is him like dropping into everyone's house like when he's talking to them like where he's literally sitting across from them and the character kind of pseudo acknowledges that he just like you know moved in space but also behind him there's this really bizarre scene like going on where this guy's like making five million copies and the copy machine's like spitting out copies at him and it's going on in the background and it's never even i think it's the the focus is racked on him the entire time and but it's just this weird little subtle moment of like uh, early on in the movie to be like yeah some weird shit's gonna happen in this movie and nobody's gonna comment on it so just fucking deal with it you know well like, I, re- I almost wonder if it's one of those things where you know i've never seen a movie made about uh call center workers before yet mm-hmm. there's so many people that work in call centers i myself have worked in call centers for almost 10 years now uh i, I mean there's sort of a rule in filmmaking that if you have a phone conversation you've got to have a lot of background action. Otherwise the viewer gets bored. Right. Cause you know, mm-hmm. if you, if you have two actors looking at each other, you're, you're gauging their reactions to each other. Phone conversation. You don't have that. It's very boring. So you either have the camera moving or, you know, they're, they're doing something with their hands or they're eating, or you have this scene where the, uh, you know, copy machine is malfunctioning and shooting copies up into the air. And it's like filling the whole room and he doesn't, he's totally unaware of it. And we're, it just kind of adds to our stress of, you know, he's stressed out, even though it's, it has nothing to do with the thing that's behind him. It's with the call itself. So I just I wonder if that was kind of the the um, the genesis of the some of those real choices where, you know, he's dropping into their living room uh, or there's like chaos going on behind him just to kind of just make us feel more um, uneasy. Yeah, no, for sure. Another another element I really enjoyed was uh, Detroit's earrings like throughout the movie. She had just like. <laughs> the best fucking threatening statements on them yeah yeah like one was like bury uh, the rag and the other one said deep in your face and then one was like, oh well those kill, are bob, kill, kill. bob dylan lyrics actually yeah one yeah. was kill 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 and then the other one was like tell the um tell the dsa we are the bomb <laughs> yeah those That's are great great i posted a gif yeah. earlier with a, a, a shot of one of those sets of earrings uh in the run-up to this podcast yeah. So I, you know, I, I really enjoyed, uh, this movie. I think it's, it's really, uh, w- just essential viewing for anyone who's, who's a leftist, you know, anyone who listens to our main podcast and, and subscribes to, to socialist ideology or leftist ideology. It's a really, it's just nice because it's so rare that we get representations of our, political viewpoints and our societal viewpoints on film it's so fucking rare 
in Hollywood. Like, uh, like the only other, I mean, the only other thing I can think of, off the, and I'm sure there's plenty more, but you know, and there's always elements where we have to like try, kind of be like, well, this was like a great, you know, subtle thing, like where we have to kind of like find like breadcrumbs in other movies. But this is just this great film that it's like clearly the person making this shares my politics, my like revolutionary politics and they get it and they want to expose it to a wider audience in a really down earth, practical way. And in a story that people can like that, it's not, you're not bogging people down in the malaise of political discourse. You really are just telling a really fun, crazy story where they'll come away with the, the ideas that we want them to come away with. And that's, Kind of unique to this movie, you know? Well, I was tweeting earlier, you know, everyone thinks Hollywood's liberal, but, uh, you know, screenwriters are all socialists. And, you know, you you look at uh, Dalton Trumbo, uh, who got blacklisted for being a commie, um, who was constantly trying to write those themes into mainstream films to the point where people are just like, look, you can't make every story about the, <laughs> about the common man who, you know, being a, yeah. a downtrodden by the system. He's like, why not? That's the way the world really is. <laughs> you know? Um, but he was still That's always trying to do it. Always trying to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, the, just the fact that you look at, um, you know, oh, fucking what's his name? I forgot his name now. Uh, guy that played him in that movie. Um, oh, uh, Brian Cranston. Bad. Yeah. Brian Cranston. Like, look at all the, I mean, Malcolm in the middle. I don't know if you've read that vice article about how Malcolm in the middle is like actually like a, like a hugely subversive socialist, uh, commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you look at breaking bad, you know, where you have a you know teacher being paid so little he can't afford his medical costs. And that's how he gets into cooking meth. Of course, the show is really about way more than that. Obviously that's, that's just the catalyst though. And then he, then he played Brian Cranston plays a Dalton Trumbo in a biopic. And it's like, eh, eh, Brian Cranston's probably fucking commie too. Honestly. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, and again, you know, it's, it's hard to do something like this, this film, sorry to bother you, uh, without it being really ham fisted. Right. When you mm-hmm. really have these themes as like the main theme, it's so easy for it to be like, okay, it's just pro- fucking propaganda. Um, but I think by having it be about so many different things together and still having it be mainly character driven, uh, you know, I think, you know, the, 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 like you said, the main character is not the union organizer. The main character is a guy who, if anything, is trying to run away from it for his own sake mm-hmm. to try to, to, you know, climb the ladder. Um, and, and then, you know, just still not making it like whatever he does, whatever right decision he makes ends up costing him something. Uh, you know, to kind of say like, you know, even if you have the labor solidarity, even if you are really good at what you do, even if you try to please the boss or please your girlfriend, no matter what, you're still never going to win all the time. And he does not going to want you to snort the fucking the horse serum that's going to give you a horse cock and turn you right. into a, you know, yeah, right. a human Well, even when you person. think you get the happy ending, then there's that little kind of like Twilight Zone twist at the very, very end where you're uh-huh. like, oh, fuck, he really is turning into them. <laughs> and then he, of course, breaks down the door of the guy. And that's that's where, it, you know, cuts to black. But uh, yeah, it just the, he, this movie had so many things it had to do perfectly. Uh, I think to succeed and to hit it out of the park so well on his first first you know first film he's ever directed, I, I don't know if he could ever do something this good again. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'd like to make I more films though. He's going to struggle probably to come up with something else of this nature. But I think that's the point you made is, is right. Is that this movie, if you just do a straight up drama centered around workers' rights and don't have the fucking crazy surreal absurdist elements. It doesn't really work. It comes across as super like not preachy, but like almost like Oscar bait. Like it just it just seems very it's pretentious. Yeah, it's pretentious. it, 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 it yeah. turns into, you know, Daniel Day Lewis in the name of the father. I'm innocent and I'm walking out the front door. You know, that whole that whole bit. <laughs> yeah, well, which is great you know, for a segment. But like it's not th- this is a really accessible movie. Right. That that would work for, you know, like our parents' generation is entertainment, yeah. but not for us. You got to have some you got to have some some satirical sardonic wit in there to really make it resonate with people uh, of our generation, the generation of 20 years later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just real. And this movie is just really fucking funny, which is, again, another way you, you really can can spread these messages is just making a really funny movie that people are like, yo, go see this movie. It's hilarious. Even if you don't care about working class <laughs> issues, you may recommend this movie to your friend because it's so fucking funny. And then they see it and they get radicalized and understand that, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the way, the way things well, are going is was not. Was anyone adequate. else, 
was anyone else credited with writing this in addition to Bootsy? Do you know? You know, I don't know. I don't believe so. I'll double check as we're as we're discussing it. But uh, as far no, yeah, written directed by Boots Riley. No other. I would almost guarantee that if he had David Cross and and Patton Oswalt involved, that there was a at least a couple days of like group writer room punch up for the dialogue yeah, and ad living and shit. yeah, there's always punch up with with a team of writers who aren't credited. And it's just like, hey, what if we like we just need like one line here to kind of, you know, uh, put an exclamation point on this scene or it just doesn't it's just missing something. And that's usually a thing that people don't get credited for. It's just to kind of like, hey, let's, you know, let's make this absolutely as good as possible. And just kind of if we if we see any holes that could be filled in, too, um, it's, it's and, insane and I know Patton Oswalt has has worked on those teams before of doing punch up. Yeah, no, for sure. And and and, the, and there's a lot of funny people in this movie. And, you know, Lakeith Sandfield's a really fucking funny dude. Uh, he's funny as an actor. I'm, I imagine he's, he's you know, just a funny person. So I'm sure he helped, you know, with his character a little bit. But his his performance, I think, also is just really what sold this character. And that's, you know, he, he's just always like a bundle of nerves. And he's like just always like really just desperate to be fucking liked. And like he, he really found the perfect way to play Cassius in this movie. Like, I, I think that doesn't work without that performance either. You know, like I, I think that's really, I, you know, I mentioned Donald Glover being good for the role because this world is very similar to the world that he built in Atlanta. But I almost oh. think that his performance would have been too subtle. Like, I, I think that Lakeith Stanfield perfectly he straddles the line between like subtle and being big when he needs to be in the, in this role. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, just tremendous so. uh, all around. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think we pretty much covered the uh, stuff we wanted to touch on in this movie. Uh, I, I, I think it's fucking great. I really hope Boots does some more stuff. Uh, you know, it'll be it'll be hard to top this, but hopefully, uh, you know, there's lots of other avenues of, of labor and class solidarity. And, and I mean, he's the thing that's great about boots is he's really outspoken on a lot. He's very outspoken on things like Venezuela and American imperialism. So I would love to see him channel that into an accessible movie of this nature. Yeah. I, I remember never fucking see when, uh, and so the lead up to the failed coup attempt, which seemed like that the, you know, the coup attempt was purely, um, fictional, there was no real military coup. It was just all on Twitter and 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 fake propaganda. There was that there was that video where they, they were trying to make it look like these uh, uh, actually very clean cut, um, well groomed young men were eating out of the back of a dumpster or out of the back of garbage truck actually, and then talking to the camera about why they had to do that. And like literally, there's a guy with like a bag of of food that they could have just taken out of his hand, but he, they like let them dump it into the truck and then they pick it up and eat it. But they only take like a bite or two and then, then, then they throw it back. And Boots was like, this is the most staged thing I've ever fucking seen before. You know, and you know that as a filmmaker, he would know the difference between something that was documentary and something that was completely fucking staged, right? And I, I didn't know what he was talking about until I watched it. And I was like, wow, that is really like, they just paid some kids a couple bucks to go pretend like they were starving. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and eat this food that someone just kind of placed there right on top of the trash. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I started kind of following him at that point and, and realized he was actually, you know, very aware of the way that film could be used for propaganda for political purposes. And I'm glad that he uh, knows how to use it for the good side, <laughs> the good the good guys, the socialists. Um, you know, it also was evidenced by just the fact that. You know, he he so well showed what a call center is like. You know, you don't even get a cubicle. You get just a desk and you're shoulder to shoulder with other people who are all talking on the phone at the same time. And you have to cut through all that background noise and try to have a convincing conversation with somebody on the other end who's a total fucking stranger. You know, and I've never worked sales like that. I never would. Um, I've tended yeah. to want to work for like nonprofits or civil service jobs that involve, you know, working on a phone, which are not nearly as bad. There's no pressure as far as like performances nearly as much. Um, unless you're doing like fundraising, then it's fucking terrible. Uh, cause you're literally, you're not even yeah. selling anything at that point. You're just asking somebody for money for nothing. Like you want to mm-hmm. <laughs> find a job harder the than hopes that. that you get a job and then you'll be, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, give us some money and we'll, uh, work on saving the whales someday. Yeah. Uh, so that was great. And also just the sort of the culture of, uh, you know, labor organizing where you've got this guy who, you know, played by, uh, uh, Glenn from walking dead, uh, Stephen Ewan, 
my home state of Michigan, mm-hmm. solidarity, um, who is sort of, like, he's kind of sneaky about it. Cause you can't just walk into a place and be like, Hey, we're a union now. Like you have to like have these little side conversations and do everything kind of on the, on the, you know, behind the scenes, but also, yeah. you know, like along the way is trying to kind of like, you know, pick up chicks at the same time. Cause you know, why wouldn't you new, new town, all that. Uh, so I like that, that, like having that dynamic in there, like that didn't need to be part of the story. And some people said like, Oh, it's just a distraction. It's like, no, it's not. Cause that's how people really interact with each other. And then it also creates another level of tension between our main character and some of the side characters. Right. Uh, and, and just like the sign twirling scene where he's trying to like show off that he's done this job too. And does like the mm-hmm. sign twirling, like, you know, just, just like a cute thing to throw in there, you know, like the things that just, people do yeah. to try to impress each other, trying to get laid, whatever. In a, in a lesser um, movie, he would have been, that would have been a much bigger story, like a showdown between him and Cassius about like him, like hooking up with Detroit and like that, I, I, I appreciated the the discipline to not go there with the story because that would have been a really Hollywood beat for that to be a big like a factor right. into why like Cassius wouldn't show up at the end of the movie and then he decides to show up anyway like but that but that would be fucking stupid in Hollywood and that's not the way real people act like what really happens is that she'll hook up with him once and he'll be like she'll be like do you want me to tell you and he's like you could do it again and she's like no and he's like no and then that's that like that's you know. <laughs> That's how yeah. fucking real life works. Like exactly, exactly. And I loved you know that apartment he had that little slender like uh, flat iron shaped building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there <laughs> with just just like flooded with light. Um, but it also sort of like it was. It still almost felt like the garage because it was so exposed to everything else around it. You know, mm-hmm. like he, he's higher up, but still like everyone else can see him. <laughs> yeah. Like every window, everyone else in downtown can look right into his room. Uh, very much like the, like the garage opening up and the whole street can see him, you know, in his room. Um, yeah. But yeah, just, just some amazing, I mean, that architecturally, you know, if you had the money, like you probably live there pretty fucking sweet ass little, little place, but yeah. uh, it just, just amazing, like constantly showing off the, the, the just different architectural forms of that city, whether it's, you know, graffiti and brick or these really, you know, uh, expensive condos downtown uh, or just kind of poking fun at some of the, the more ridiculous aspects of the art world, that kind of high end art, uh, high flute and stuff. I mean, just the, the scene where she's like, wants it. What are all the stuff that she wanted them to throw at her uh, balloons full of goat's blood? And what else was it? And like empty shells and like used cell phones. Oh, yeah. It's just like the most like <laughs> trying to drive meaning from like the most meaningless fucking shit and pretending yeah. that that's high art. Like I love that. That yeah. critique of the art world as well. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was tremendous. That's and I think that's kind of like, you know, he, he he's. Uh, yeah, that, that was just a really great uh, element of the movie as well. So, um, and you know, there's another great thing that, that you kind of reminded me of, like at the end of the movie when he goes back to the the garage apartment. You know, he, he turns up the he pulls up the door and he still has like his flat screen from his a really expensive place and like a couple of other items, and it's kind of just a subtle you know, nod to the fact that like, yeah, it's really fucking hard to go back. And that's kind of like what capitalism kind of breeds in people is like, even if you do end up doing the right thing, you're still going to hold on to some of the material possessions that you kind of accumulated because that's just the nature of the way society kind of has groomed you to become like where you're, you know, to, to cling to your, your possessions and your distractions. Like, and it's hard to let those go, even if you, you know, it really was a Game of Thrones ending, you know, Jon Snow going back to the to the Night's yeah. Watch kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Like, yep, yeah, well, Close. I'm back here again. Yeah, just took, took a little over. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, so real quick, Game of Thrones fans, on my Twitter, uh, found a picture of the cast from uh, San Diego Comic-Con. where They're all kind of dressed up in, like, nerdy kind of, you know, uh, Hawaiian shirts and band shirts. And it's got this, mm-hmm. like, weird, like, high school photo galaxy um, thing behind him. And I just tweeted out saying, uh, name this ska band. <laughs> and I wanted people to like post puns, uh, yeah. like, you know, take the names of the characters from Game of Thrones to try to make ska band names out of it. One of the ones I had was uh, Arya and the Brandtones. Um, <laughs> one you had was uh, Lord, Lord of Light Manifesto. Well, so at first I, I tweeted Candlelight Manifesto and, you know, as a pun on Streetlight Manifesto. And I said, wait, 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 no, Lord of Light Manifesto. Yeah. Uh, and then I had, uh, cause in the photo you've got, um, Davos, Samuel Tower, uh, Samuel Tarwell, Varys, uh, Gray Worm, yeah. Jamie Lannister, Bran and Arya. 
all, you know, in like their civilian clothes and everything as, as, you know, they are actors. Right. Um, so I wanted to kind of reference the actual people in the photo. So one, my, one of the ones I was most proud of was, uh, Sammy T and the two tone eunuchs. <laughs> <laughs> orig- originally two-tone records which was a ska label was called that because they wanted to have like, they integrate black and white performers into the same band so hence the name two-tone and of course you have uh two eunuchs of different races in the photo here so that was one of my favorites but just just now while we were recording somebody quote tweeted it and clearly understood the instructions because they came up with four in the single tweet dragon bone save varies <laughs> melisandre <laughs> Melisandre <laughs> and uh, well, probably one of my favorite ones, less than Jahar Jaharis. <laughs> so that's great. So for, that, that was good. Yeah, that. Uh, so the name uh, Capri Solar System quote tweeted me there. Okay, uh, and then they they followed up their tweet saying, "Really gonna need someone to remove my fingers if I make another Game of Thrones deep dive tweet next, however long the site <laughs> is still a thing." So I'm going to I'm going to hit this guy up and uh, let him know about our deep dive season eight Game of Thrones review cast we did for anyone who uh, likes this review and likes sort of a a subversive socialist uh, reviews of things that maybe aren't as popular to the masses that we did like, uh, like the season eight of Game of Thrones. Check those out. Those are on our sound column. Fuck. (laughs) Every time I fucking do this, I try to say SoundCloud and I say SoundCloud. I don't know what it is. (laughs) yeah well um yeah so yeah check out it check it out on our soundcloud page that's uh soundcloud.com slash uh, move left god damn um, it but no so yeah i i uh I, I think we pretty much covered what we wanted to cover with this you have any other any other closing thoughts on uh sorry to bother you no i think it's good although for the longest time i called it sorry to keep bothering you or sorry sorry for bothering you and you're like no, sorry for time. bothering you and i was like that's sorry to bother you you're like yeah whatever. yeah it's shorter and pithier but yeah uh yeah this was this was one that i didn't know was coming out i kind of like when films get made like this because we always say like oh films like this never ever 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 get made and of course they actually get made more than we realize um but yeah, for $3 million, but they don't get made by anything. studios anymore, you know, like that's, but that's the thing we talk about a well, lot is that like a movie like this, maybe not with these working class themes, but like a, a, a funny absurdist comedy would get, would have gotten made in the eighties and it would have gotten $30 million. Like they don't make movies like that anymore. Like that you got to go to these little indie places and yeah, no, it's pull together so a shoestring budget. What, was this actually made by Hollywood? studio i didn't even look that up i should have it was a, i think it was a pretty i think it was like a pretty small studio i it was not certainly not a uh a wide release movie i mean it made seven hundred thousand no. dollars the first uh first week uh, you know in, in <laughs> that's, box that's, office. that's still good for for something like this but you know it is uh, yeah i mean usually it's it like an indie festival buzz that it got a bigger release it. than it was supposed to yeah and then they'll go to the festival try to sell it to to big studio based on reactions but whatever i mean it, you know if, if he spent two decades trying to think this up i'm sure he's got other ideas he's not starting from scratch after this one was over that he's uh, probably still working on and and if he did it and liked it and people liked it i guarantee he'll do it again he'll, he'll be like all right i i know how to do this i can I've, <laughs> I've cut my teeth i've got experience i'm gonna come back and do something even more crazy yeah no for sure so you know Boots, if you're listening, make a fucking movie about American imperialism, things like that. <laughs> make a war movie. <laughs> yeah, for real. There's a decent chance he might listen because he he always retweets people that uh, uh, tweet shit at him. So you never know. Yeah. No, I just you just got We just we just got to remember to tag him. You just got to tag him, and, yeah, and if yeah, he gets enough retweets, then he'll be like, all right, I'll listen to these two white guys for a minute. The um the only so production companies that I've never heard of any of these except for Annapurna pictures, but it's like significant productions, M and M creative macro. It was a, it was a very small, uh, production mirror, mirror releasing was the distributor. Um, I don't guess, which is a UA, but so like it, it clearly got like picked up after it made its little indie festival run and got distribute, uh, distribution. But, it it was certainly a, a small uh, film, so that's yeah. that's. Well, it's on Hulu know. now too, so I mean, it got it it went places. It's got a huge cult following. I I think this movie became a cult hit pretty quick, honestly. Yeah. Well, that's also the kind of great thing about like Twitter and social media and like you know movies that would take 
five years to become cult classics because of like, you know, video store rentals and word of mouth become cult yeah. classics. The minute they screen in fucking festivals, cause people are like, yo, you're not going to believe how insane this movie is. You are not going to believe like a movie like get out, which did not have a big, you know, super big budget or super big, like studio push behind it. And everyone's like, you gotta see this fucking movie. It's insane. It's going to blow your mind. And then people all saw it and were like, yeah, this is incredible. Like more of that, please. So, yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I that's that's kind of the great thing about this. It era. makes me wonder when is Blade Runner twenty forty nine going to become a cult classic? Because that was, <laughs> I feel like it should have by now. It is to me. It is. It's to in me. a weird spot because it was a big release, but it like it was kind of like under the radar. But it did have money behind it, so it's hard for it to become a cult classic. But well, it might become a movie that people go back and look at and appreciate better you know like it, i mean it, it might it might get a second life eventually people i don't know how keep but. churning it it's it's like you know with the game of thrones season eight where everyone who hates it churns out like a a, a, a you know a 10 minute how they ruined the series video within the first 24 hours because they're just like oh it didn't end like like lord of the rings i don't like it and then after mm-hmm. time you get people putting out like really well thought out 25 minute deep analysis literary analysis that go hey here's what the, these fucking you know nerds missed here's this layer and this layer and this layer and that takes time to peel apart and i think that's what we did uh pretty well because you know we're fucking high art snobs but um i think you know it it does take time and i think you know eventually even with this film people more and more people will will know about it because right now you know if you if you're in you know grassroots politics you know about it but you know our parents going to watch this movie? Maybe no, never, no. but <laughs> never even heard of it. I'm sure, but you know, no. But it's going to be it's going to be a movie that people come, keep coming back to as they get older. You know, yeah. maybe they're maybe they're ten years old now, and in eight years they get into, into politics, and they're like, "Oh, this is a fucking great movie. This only made yeah. thirteen million dollars. What? <laughs> yeah, this, and this recommend movie, this movie to people that you think would would benefit yeah. from its message for sure. Because and that's if you haven't life. seen the movie, I don't know why you're still listening at this point. <laughs> but go the watch it. It's fucking entire movie. <laughs> Yeah, we just ruined the movie for you. It's so uh, good. No, so worth really. watching. It's great to say I watched it again the second time, you know, two nights ago, and it was still fucking great to watch. If you uh, listen to our review to decide whether you wanted to watch the movie, then hopefully we steered you in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you want to support the show, uh, <laughs> rate and review. <laughs> uh what is that yeah if you want to support the show rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts follow us on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash move left you can find our main show over there uh as well uh move left idiots it's our uh weekly uh leftist political uh analysis show that we do uh you can check that out if you like this review chances are you'd like that show as well um we uh are on patreon if you want to become a patron uh patreon.com slash move left facebook.com slash move left idiots uh if you want to pick up any merch from the show tinyurl.com slash move left merch uh i am on twitter at move underscore left and i'm currently looking at my own twitter on twitter.com uh my account like is smut smut collector smut collector with an er not an or because it was already taken yep and uh Yeah, come join us next time uh, for Movie Left.
We know you could have stayed home, just cried and cussed. May all your guns go off if it's time to bust. May all their tanks have time to rust. They got the armies turning bullets into gold. They got the hookers turning tricks into coal. And every time the police kicks in the dough, an angel gas breaks dips in the O. And even if a D-boy flips in my O, it ain't enough to buy shit anymore. Sleep in the doorway, piss on the floor. Look in the sky, wait for missiles to show. It's finna blow, cause they got the TV, we got the truth. They own the judges, and we got the proof. We got hella people, they got helicopters, they got the bombs, and we got the, we got the, we got the Textbook red said bring you the bread, but guess what we got you instead? We got the kids. 